Father, we thank you for the privilege of uh, health and strength to be here. And Father, we think of those who don't have the health and strength to be here today. Father, we think of, of George and Ronnie, Walter and Alec, Margaret and Ina, and the other Margaret, Margaret Fraser. Father, we pray uh, that your hand would be upon each one. Father, that they would know your presence today. Father, we are privileged to be able to be here today. We have the health and strength to make our way here and to just enjoy being in church today. And Father, we think of these folks who don't get out to church uh, very often, if at all, these days. And we ask that you'd strengthen each one. Father, that you would presence yourself with each one. May they know your presence in a very real way. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to encourage them as well. Father, we take fellowship for granted so often. Father, help us to encourage each one of these uh, people who are part of the, the church here. So, Father, we pray your blessing upon them. Father, we pray that you would open our ears and our eyes to hear and see what you would say today, Father, through your word. And, uh, Lord, we just pray that we're all receptive, that your Holy Spirit would speak, and that what your Spirit would say would be the things which we remember today and take away from today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Um, one announcement that I have not made, and I've been kind of saving this one because it's really nice to share good news, isn't it? That there's a new baby in the church, Robin Hope Lemmer. So probably most people know that already, but just in case you didn't know, uh, it's really nice to be able to share good news. It's so exciting and uh, encouraging. So we just pray blessing on them and uh, that all goes well. So let's turn in our Bibles. Uh, to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. <laughs> Should I use this one, Martin? Yeah, okay. Okay, Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through to 62. And uh, the title of today's message, and it's one that I've been thinking about sharing uh, for a number of weeks now, is the cost of following Jesus. Um, and so let's read the account. Uh, you'll find a, a parallel account in Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 through to 22. But we're going to read today because uh, it actually has three people uh, in the story where, where Matthew only has two. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, that is Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me, but the man replied. That's all right. Yeah. Okay. You need to kill the fold back in this one, though. Uh, so uh, he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit, for this, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. 
You know, over the years I've heard, I've heard many people say that I will follow Jesus. I've heard many people say that. And they've meant it. But I have also witnessed over the years many people falling away from following Jesus. You see, I think the question not is about, isn't about following Jesus, it's about how we're following Jesus. And that, for me, is the key. You know, some of us are maybe... Maybe we're in a place where our home comforts are more important uh, than the calling to the cause of Christ. Some of us maybe. Perhaps for some people, their sexuality is more important than serving Jesus. Perhaps for some, a job and the thing that gives us an income is more important than the work of the kingdom of God. And it made me think, can we actually serve Jesus conditionally? Can we serve Jesus conditionally? And I would venture as far as to say no. Not if you want to live as a disciple of Jesus. People who follow Jesus conditionally keep running into problems because their lives are not fully surrendered to Jesus. And I've been around the block long enough to see this happen many, many times when people haven't given everything in their lives to God. That that thing which they've not given up comes back and it can cause problems. But there comes a point in our relationship with God where God calls us and we need to decide whether or not we will follow him unconditionally. And I don't know about you, when I read verses like this, it makes me think, it makes me ask questions of myself. And I was asking some questions. Are we willing to go wherever, whenever, and to whosoever? that God would call us to? Are we willing to be led and to follow with selfless humility and obedience? Have you ever tried to follow with selfless humility and obedience? I'll tell you, sometimes God asks us to do things that are hard. And it is a challenge to do these things, but God comes in and strengthens us to do the things he's asking us to do. Are we willing to move in a way that demands energy and exercise, both spiritually and physically? Are we willing not only to change ourselves, but our attitudes, our desires, and surrender them to Jesus? Are we willing to accept the road that lies ahead with all the rise and falls of the road, the rough terrain, and with the loss that we may have to suffer along the way? Jesus challenges the men who come and speak to him. And he addresses these sorts of issues in the things which he said to the men who came, two who came and asked him a question, and one whom he gave an instruction to. And we'll come on to think about that in just a little minute. I want to tell you a little story. Um, something that happened. Glad my mum's not here. It would freak her out. Um, it was something that happened, you know, when we were young. We lived in Bridge Street uh, in Falthouse. And we were sitting on a Saturday night, I think it was, watching the television, uh, just kind of chilling out, when somebody came into the house, right? A wee man, he, an old wee man, he came in and he kind of wandered up the hallway, came into the living room and just plonked himself down on the sofa. <laughs> I was like, hello. <laughs> I was like, who's this guy? <laughs> so um, I knew that Mary hadn't invited him. I knew I certainly hadn't invited him. 
and he'd had too much to drink. That's the problem. He'd staggered out the welfare, and he had too much alcohol in his system, didn't know where he was, and he just sat down, and I was like, um, can I help you? <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. I says, do you not think you're maybe in the wrong house? No, no, this is my house, this is, I'm back there, blah, blah, blah. And he's, so I'm trying to have a conversation with somebody who's drunk. You know how hard that is if you've ever tried it. And I eventually managed to get out of him an answer to the question, where do you stay? And uh, he told me that he stayed in Meadow Crescent. I was like, well, this isn't Meadow Crescent. You're in 36A Bridge Street. Oh. <laughs> Do you want me to give you a wee hand to get home? Aye, okay, son. So up we get. I usher him out the house. Mary locks the door behind. <laughs> and I take him round the street to Meadow Crescent. And I eventually get him to his house. And I see him in the door. And, uh, and there he is. He's back in his own house. And you know, this story, why am I telling this story? You might think I'm just daft here, but the reality is that when it comes to following Jesus, he's never going to barge in on your life. He will not come in in places where he's not invited. Okay? That wee man wasn't invited into our house. He just came in. Jesus will never do that to us. He waits for our permission to come into our lives in order to accomplish the things which probably we want to to do anyway, but we need to make that decision to allow him to come in. You see, it's always about decisions. It's always a matter of uh, a decision. Not only to become a Christian, but to become a follower of Jesus. And I think becoming a Christian, which is a very loose term, is easy. The church is full of people who self-identify as Christians, but not everyone is following Jesus. Mark Batterson uh, said this. I think it should come up on the screen. Oh, come on. Could you maybe just hit return for me, Daniel, please? Because this technology is not working for me either. Right, again. Again. Again, that's us. Okay, Mark Batterson said this, The gospel costs nothing. We cannot buy it or earn it. It can only be received as a free gift, compliments of God's grace. So it costs nothing, but it demands everything. And that is where most of us get stuck. Spiritual no man's land. We're too Christian to enjoy sin, and too sinful to enjoy Christ. We've got just enough Jesus to be informed, but not enough to be transformed. And really, this is what it's about. Following Jesus will demand things of us. His grace is free, but in actual following Jesus, it will make demands on our lives, and there will be a cost as we think about in this story which is coming up. Let's read verses 57 and 58 again. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
Matthew gives us a little bit more information about this particular man. He says, Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I can only imagine that the power of Jesus' message and his teaching and the things which he did and said would have been like magnetism. People were drawn to Jesus. And this man, a teacher of the law, he's on the right track already, and he hears Jesus teaching and he thinks, this makes sense, and I want to come and follow you. But Jesus reads the man, he reads his manner, and he also reads his motive. Click to the next slide, please, Daniel. And the question we're left asking is, has he made a rash decision? Has he just come along in the spur of the moment and said, I will follow Jesus? Matthew Henry uh, states that many resolutions for religion are produced by sudden conviction and taken up without due consideration. These come to nothing. It's worth restating that we have, we all have the material needs, right? You know, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. Jesus has no place to lay his head. The, the reality is that each of us have material needs. We need uh, to be fed, we need to be clothed, we need to have shelter. And uh, we need all these things. And last week we talked about that. We said your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. But Jesus said, don't worry now I think back to our early days, probably even before the, the days when the wee man came in, but certainly at that time as well, where things were very, very tight in terms of material uh, things. Uh, we didn't have a lot. We just managed to furnish a house, only just, and uh, we begged and borrowed. We didn't steal anything. Um, and uh, there was lots of things that we had to do without. Um, which is maybe a bit different from our expectations these days as a, as, a, as a culture, as a nation. But the one thing that we know is that throughout all those things that God has been present and experience has taught us that we may not have all that we want, but we do have all that we need. We've never been in lack. And so to get back to the story, Jesus says to the man, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus uses a parable that would have challenged the man and probably anyone else who was listening. It's a parable from nature, again, as he used so many times, and it has endured through the centuries. But some commentators suggest that there's a deeper meaning to this. It's not just... Look at the birds, they've got somewhere to stay. Look at the foxes, they've got somewhere to stay. It's all about uh, practical things. Some people would say that there's a deeper meaning in this. And uh, one uh, comment which I came across, could you flick to the next slide please, Daniel, by T.W. Manson, who points out that the birds of the air uh, were an apocalyptic symbol of the intertestamental period referred to, uh, referring to the Gentile nations. So they were, even using this analogy was an allusion to uh, the other nations which surrounded Israel. Remember, these are the people who have fought for their land and have been invaded. They've been invaded by Rome and they're controlled by the Herod, by Herod and, and his, uh, his cohorts. And so they lived amongst a nation, uh, amongst a, an area 
where they were really, really challenged about, is this our land? This is the land that we fought for, and now we're having, uh, we're having to um, bow down to other people. And uh, one of the interesting passages in Luke is in uh, chapter 13, 31 to 32. And uh, when it's, it's referencing the foxes here, actually, you know, could Jesus have been saying when he talked about foxes having holes, Listen, let me read this at this. The, the time some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. And he replied, go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. Go tell that fox. And so one of the suggestions is that when Jesus is saying this, that he's referring not only to physical things, but to the political system of the day. And uh, to quote another commentator here, he says, Then the sense of saying may be, everybody is at home in Israel's land except for the true Israel. The birds of the air, the Roman overlords, the foxes, the Edomite interlopers have made their position secure. The true Israel is disinherited by them, and if you cast your lot in with me and mine, you join the ranks of the dispossessed and you must be prepared to serve God under those conditions. What I'm trying to get at here is Jesus is saying, if you want to come and follow me, you really need to think about what, you, what you're doing because what I'm doing is going against the grain. It goes against what's happening politically in the country. It goes against the rulers of the country and it's going to end up with me being in trouble. You know, I wonder if there's a parallel today for us to be a Christian in our society today. Perhaps there is a, a rich minority who want to have things their own way. Or even the minority groups who seem to have so much influence and are seemingly changing the face of our society and culture. But amidst all this, Amidst all this, Jesus asks us to follow. And sometimes we need to go against the grain. Next slide, please, Daniel. The reality is that uh, what the man was offering was to follow this leader. This leader who would shortly be rejected, despised, tortured, and would take up a cross and trudge to his death. Had the man really considered what he said when he said, I will follow you wherever you go? Had he really considered what Jesus was all about and where he was going? Even Peter, who was a true disciple and said, I will never leave you. And Jesus replied to him, no, you will deny me three times and then you will hear a cock crow. Imagine how Peter felt when he realized he'd fallen short of the mark. Peter had not considered the cost on a personal level. You too may be rejected and have to suffer loss. It's one thing to be a Christian in church. It's another thing to be a Christian in the world and amidst uh, the workplace and the political scene that we face and all the things that are trying to be introduced into our society. It's one thing to be a Christian here. It's quite something else to be a Christian in the workplace, in the marketplace, when you're confronted by the things which surround us. We need to consider the cost. We need to have thought that through. 
Because when we're faced with a situation or a question that God prompts us to speak into, we need to realise that there is a potential cost for each of us. This man, we ask a question. What did he do in light of the revelation from Jesus? What did he decide? We don't know. As we're often left in the parables wondering what what did they do? But we're impacted by the same question. What will you do? What will you do? What will I do faced with the same situation? Perhaps Jesus is asking us today, just how important am I? And are you prepared to follow? Next slide, please, Daniel. Then Jesus said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus asked many people to follow him, but not everyone responded. If we think about this situation, I mean, this is incredible. Uh, next slide, please, Daniel. When we read this with a, a kind of modern Western mindset, what we see in the passage is that the father, this man's father has died and that he needs to go now and attend to that. But that's not the case. If the man's father had died, this chap wouldn't be with Jesus. He would be doing uh, the things which he needs to do as a son. He would be attending to the family's affairs at that very moment. And he would be keeping watch over the body and attending to the funeral, which would not be the long drawn out process that we have, even worse if you're in England uh, these days. And one commentator has said that it's more a case of let me attend to my father while he is still alive, and after he dies, I will come and follow you. Because it's what's expected of a son. It's the cultural norm of the day. And how many people put off following Jesus to a future time? Oh, I'll do it, I'll do it when I'm older. I'll make that decision to follow Jesus when I'm older. Oh, I'm just young and I want to experience a bit of life first. There's no better life to experience than the life that Jesus can give us. I want to experience a wee bit of the world and party and do my thing. How many people put off following Jesus because it may require going against the grain of the cultural norms and even our family's expectations? Perhaps the man did what he said and went back to his family and heard the news. Actually, that Jesus who I said I was going to follow, they've put him on a cross. I'm too late. I'm too late to follow him. I think for some people, and it just distresses me sometimes actually, for some people, they put off following Jesus and they put off following Jesus and they say, I'll I'll get to it, I'll do it. But maybe that opportunity never comes. Maybe the opportunity never comes. And for some people, for some people that opportunity never comes. 
because they've put it off, they've put it off, and they've put it off. And something happens, and that moment of decision has been taken from them. What are we going to do? You know, Jesus, Jesus' sayings are hard. People tell me all the time that he was a great teacher and a great man and a good man. But see, when you listen to what he says, he's a very demanding person because he knows what God wants and he demands the best from us. That's not to say that we need to be perfect and, you know, have everything sewn up and be all together because his grace is more more than sufficient for our sin. The Bible says that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. But there's lots of sin in our lives. Grace comes and is able to deal with that. We need to confess our sins and that he is faithful and just to cleanse us and to forgive us from all unrighteousness. And so even in this story, well, what does Jesus mean? Let the dead bury their own dead and you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He's not talking about physically dead people. He's talking about people who are spiritually dead. People who are dead in trespasses and sins. And this is highlighted in Ephesians chapter 2. It's a famous passage about the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 though says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. We're not told what the man's response is. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Again, we're left asking the question, the high impact question. What would I do? What will I do? If God comes to you and he says, I want you to do such and such. I want you to speak to such and such. I want you to follow such and such. What will our response be? And when he says something to us, we need to listen and obey. We thought just a few weeks ago about getting that nudge from God, that moment where you know that God's speaking to you, and you think, I need to do this, I need to say this, because God's actually asking me to. And then the third man in the story, next slide please, Daniel. Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Notice that the, like the first man, this man is a volunteer. He volunteers to follow Jesus. However, again in the story, there's a but, B-U-T. And surely, surely this is a reasonable request to go back and say goodbye to my family. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, maybe one of the problems is that we just read the words and we think about them on face value and we don't think about how Jesus' original audience, his listeners, would have heard that question. Again, when referring to commentaries, the passage is interesting and we can take uh, some note of this, uh, that The man isn't necessarily wanting to say goodbye, as we would say goodbye. You go to somebody and you say, you know, imagine me uh, leaving the family home. It's like, see you, I'm away. Um, Thanks for everything. And uh, I'm off now. Bye. Well, it doesn't really work like that here either. 
But what it's talking about here is the man actually asking permission to leave and to follow Jesus. To say goodbye could also be translated to take leave of. And this same dynamic that we're reading about here would have been what made the parable of the prodigal son so shocking to the listeners. He took himself out from, from his father's authority. He took leave of his father without permission and without blessing and with his inheritance. It's, it would be absolutely shocking to hear that. So what we need to understand here is the pull that family has on the individual in this culture, but also in our culture. And I'm not saying we should be disrespectful to our families, not at all. Um, not at all. But how many people say to Jesus, yes, I'm going to follow, but... Has it ever occurred to you how much Jesus says in so few words? I'm taking a whole message to and saying lots of things to say what Jesus said like that, and people got it. Asking his father's permission to leave. And then he says this thing about putting your hand to the plough. No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Maybe you can put up the next slide, please, Daniel. The plough that they're referring to here is not one of these massive tractors that ploughs using satellite navigation. Did you know that? The farmer doesn't even need to be in the tractor these days. He can just control it from his phone, you know. Satellite navigation, straight furrows, nothing gets in the way, easy peasy, job done, back home, put my feet up. Not that farmers put their feet up. But the plough in Jesus' day, what he would be referring to would be a single-handed plough. The, the one hand would control the direction and the other would have a, a stick in it, uh, which would be called an ox goad, and it would guide the oxen and keep the line straight. And the person who was doing the ploughing would have to watch. He'd not only have to watch what he was doing, he'd have to watch the furrow he's just cut, watch this one that it's in line with it, and then be thinking about the next one that he's going to cut. It demands concentration. He would need to watch and keep his eye on what was happening all the time. He would also need to watch for stones, big rocks that might present uh, as he's going along and ploughing because that could break the plough. And he's having to concentrate on all these things. Imagine what would happen if he looked back. Somebody shouts to him and he looks back. Well, have you ever experienced that where you look off to the side when you're driving and you, you, you're craning your neck to see something maybe it's uh, maybe it's an accident for me one time it was it was stripes in a field where a, a tractor had been going down and you find out actually you're veering off the road right and you're like oh back in again that's you, you know when somebody's done that in front of you you just see them kind of all of a sudden jump back into the lane that's us driving our cars imagine this and how crucial it is to get the furrow right so that you can plant your crops and have a harvest. Imagine what would happen if you looked round squinty furrows. Perhaps even a broken plough as it 
gets caught uh, on a rock or something like that. And even in the Proverbs, it says this. Oh, the Bible is in a really interesting book, eh? It uses words like sluggard. What's a sluggard? A sluggard does not plough in season. So at harvest time, he looks but finds nothing. Maybe there's a parable in that. Maybe there's a message in that for the kingdom of God as well. For us who proclaim to follow Jesus, are we ploughing in season? Are we sowing the seed? Because if we're not doing that, how will we ever expect to reap a harvest? Perhaps Jesus is saying to the man, what's more important, looking back to your family or following me? What's more important, your father's authority over your life or my authority over your life? And some of us may need to grapple with this one, especially for younger people. If your parents aren't Christians, we need to think about who has claim over our life. Is it our family or is it Jesus? And I'll say this again just to make myself clear. I'm not saying that we should ever be disrespectful to our families, especially our parents. But there might be things that we need to grapple with here and pray through and work through in order to follow Jesus the way he wants us to. You know, again, we're not told the man's response here either. Again, the question is posed for us. What would we do? Is Jesus the ultimate authority in your life? But also, perhaps Jesus is wanting us to be focused so that we don't lose our edge, so that we are doing what God has asked us to do. Next slide, please, Daniel. So in conclusion... When we think of how we ought to live, which is what we've been thinking about, if we're true disciples of Jesus, we must consider the following. Click, please, Daniel. Uh, Just put the ball up. That's us. There will be a cost to following Jesus. I don't know if you've thought about that. Most of you probably have. Have you thought about following Jesus in light of the cost? Or are you happy to have your foot in both camps to reap the benefits of both being in the world and in the kingdom? That's a challenge. I live in this world. There are certain things which this world has to offer which I need to say no to in order to be a follower of Jesus. We may need to go against the grain of culture, our popular culture, Are you prepared to go against the flow of the cultural norms of today? All the things that are becoming normal that maybe aren't godly. And God asks us to go against the flow of culture sometimes. And that's difficult. I remember one time we were doing a thing called gorge walking. I don't know if anybody's ever tried that. And you're trying to walk up a river with the force of the river coming down on top of you. And even trying to make a little bit of progress takes a massive, massive effort. And uh, I really enjoyed it, by the way, just so that you know. 
But that's what it can be like for us as Christians as we're going against the grain of culture. We're counter-cultural. We're trying to bring in a kingdom culture through our lives and through what we demonstrate and how we live our lives. And it can be taxing. It can be hard work. And you know, there's sometimes, there's sometimes you just want to give up. Let me be honest. There's sometimes you just want to give up. You say, I've had enough. I've had enough. I'm just going to go with the flow for a wee while. Oh, it's never going to achieve God's purposes in our lives when we do that, though. And we must finally consider the claims that Christ would put in our lives. Namely, that he has the ultimate authority. Not us and not our families. We're asked to serve in the kingdom of God and it's hard work. It demands skill and it demands perseverance. We can sharpen our skills at the Christian life and witness classes. Plug, plug, plug. Shameless. Think about the man who operates the plough. Did he suddenly, all of a sudden, go out into the field and know how to plough? No, he probably watched somebody else do it. He got alongside. He would get a shot, and then eventually somebody would watch him and make sure that he was doing it right. And then he'd be left to go on with it. It demands skill. Our faith isn't just some willy-nilly thing that we engage with on a Sunday. It's something that demands us to take seriously what Jesus says about us, what he would say into our lives, and how he would have us live our lives in this world. It demands skill, and it demands perseverance. So does Christ have the key claim on your life? Are you sharpening your skills as a disciple? And will you follow? And the big question, how? How will you follow? These are challenging thoughts. Jesus had some pretty difficult things to say, but he didn't shy away from saying them. And here we are, 2,000 years later, reading the words that he said to these men. We don't know what they decided. We're never told that. But the same question is posed to us today. Will you follow Jesus? Will you follow Jesus with all of your heart? Will you sharpen your skills? Will you get into the Bible and read it and pray about it and ask God what he's saying to you in different areas of life? What has he shown you? That thing which you need to put into practice today. And the last thing that I want to say is not to be trying to do it in our own strength because that's not what it's about. The Holy Spirit lives within us and he comes and he gives us the strength to do these things. And I am so aware that when I try to do it on my own, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I need God in me to do these things. He asks us to do something that's impossible, naturally speaking, but he gives us the strength to do that. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus today, then I invite you to come and have a chat with me at the end and we'll pray with you and help you to think about that. You could have been coming to church for years and years and years, but you've never really made a decision to follow Jesus. Well, maybe today's that day where you say, actually, 
I want to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. And uh, musicians, please come back up as well. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the way which he lived. And Father, the way in which he taught. Father, we thank you for the, the strength, the force of his words. Even uh, centuries later, Father, we read them and they still impact us today. Father, help us to consider what our response will be to the question about following you. And Father, for many of us, maybe we've been following you for years. And Father, maybe we're in a place where we need to just get back into, uh, back into plowing that furrow and sharpening our skills and uh, just being attentive to the things which you're saying. And so, Father, we pray that you come and that you would speak to us. Father, if there are those who have never made that decision to follow Jesus, I pray uh, that at the end of the service today that they will come and have a chat and, uh, and uh, we can pray together. Father, we just thank you that you have come through your Holy Spirit and that you fill us and that you live in us and that you uh, speak through us. And so, Father, we pray. I pray for this church. I pray for this body of people here, part of your body and part of your church. Father, that you would enable us to be what you call us to be. Father, that you'd fill us with your spirit. And Father, that we would be people who say, I will follow, I will go, I will be prepared to pay the cost. <coughs> Father, help us to realize that you don't call us to do this in our own strength, but that you come in and that you strengthen us to do these things. Father, we thank you that we've been saved by grace not of ourselves, it's a free gift. And Father, we just thank you for the, the amazing privilege we have uh, of being able to walk in that free gift, to walk in that reality. So Father, we just pray that you'd cement your word into our hearts, the things which you would have us remember today. And Father, as we sing our final song, as we take up our offering, Lord, it's our worship to you once again. Father, we want to worship you with all that's within us because you are worth it. In Jesus' name.